So welcome to another 11-minute session. And my name is Tim Beams. I'm the co-founder of Le Pub Scientifique. And today I am joined by my good friend and colleague Bart van Boekham over in the Netherlands. And um, well, we normally take it in turns, don't we, to host the sessions, but today we thought we'd join together and have a little extended version of the 11 minute session. So we're going to have a discussion today. And um, well, it's a topic that I think is, um, yeah, I, it's just like a fresh topic, isn't it? Something that's on both of our minds. So um, without further ado, if I can ask you to just put the timer on. Yeah, and we're gonna just gonna, yeah, yeah, there he goes. We're going to jump in there. How long are you giving yeah. us? Oh, 30 minutes. Boom. Wow. There we go. So, um, all right, but um, we're both physiotherapists. We're both interested in pain, aren't we? Um, would you say that as a therapist, you are treating pain when someone comes in with pain? What is it that you're doing? That's not the easiest question to start with. I thought we we take the easy way. We just do drop the mic there. <laughs> I know it's well. It, I think it's good to get it's the elephant in the room, perhaps. Um, I, I I would say I would treat the person in pain, but I think in the clinical language, it's. Um, Let's jump in a, a person's mind uh, and my patient will expect them, expect you to treat their pain, whatever you think. So I think generally I would have a, I would try to, to change the narrative and the language slightly to the person and their pain. But I, I would be comfortable with saying, yes, we will treat pain in the clinic. Indeed. That's a short answer. <laughs> yeah, because it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because it is. You know, typically if someone comes in, my experience certainly over the last few years, if if you say what what do you hope to get from working together, it will be things like I want to my pain to go away or I want you to help get rid of my pain or, or these sort of phrases around that. So it's like pain is this entity, isn't it? And and almost as though there's this separateness of pain from that person who's experiencing the pain. So it's, and I just, like when I'm, <laughs> that immediately sort of starts to, it starts to demonstrate the complexity of what pain is. So both from what I believe pain might be, but also out there societal expectations and beliefs around pain and, and perhaps how, how different they can be. So it's a sort of, it's a challenging time, isn't it, for clinicians helping someone? Absolutely. Yeah, and sometimes I felt challenged by my, myself, actually, where my knowledge doesn't always help to emphasize to have the empathy for the patient. So they say, I want to get rid of my pain. And then I said, well, it's not the pain, it's your pain. It's your... We're creating a distance. So sometimes I feel more knowledge and being in a more philosophical and maybe academic 
discussion is not the discussion you should start with your patient, um, which I feel it creates the gap. And I think you have to be very flexible and, and meeting the patient in his or her story and their narrative, which I find really important um, that, and if we're, if we're staying in the debate of is pain an entity or not? Is pain a, is it a um, is pain a sensation or a perception? I don't think the person has anything to do with that. I think it's could be more beneficial people changing their narrative, but it's not the the discussion or the, the direction you take in a clinical situation. Um, um, I still sometimes feel like if people tell me, yeah, Bart, I just want to get rid of the pain. I will be fully and I just want them to solve it. And I, I, I can feel some frustration coming because we know that it probably will take two to tango. So they both that we, I can do something probably to help guiding you through that process or potentially that process. And, but it's also the person have to be on board and take their responsibility as far as they can. And uh, sometimes that creates that that feeling as a, in it. I also sometimes see if you can be very confident. And I, I uh, sometimes I'm blaming myself if I if I take that option or that possibility that pain can change, and I take that because I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's not going to happen. Mm. So, uh, and on the other hand, I've seen enough and I've been reading enough and been involved in research that we see the shifts in patients, even when it's not the focus on changing pain, but even like better coping mechanism, mind shift changes or um, structuring the knowledge could eventually in some people does it does work out it works and it helps people to really say well i i do have less pain um and i think we should not we not we don't have the right to take that hope or to prime people to say your pain is not going to change mm. I think that's not going to be helpful in the way it's if you take it that literally if you take it that way but yeah, I, I can feel the challenge <laughs> yeah. very, very much. Yeah. So, so you've opened up like a few threads that perhaps we could sort of go down. And the first one I'm thinking is like what the pressure that is placed upon the therapist or that we place upon ourselves to sort of fix a problem, to, to get rid of pain um that someone's suffering from or, or and then then there's the, the pressure within that person experiencing that pain to for their pain to go away as well and mm. that's it's quite tough isn't it i mean let's just take the take it from a, the clinical side of it um if you aren't seeing someone's pain change it can be really disheartening because you do want you want the best for them, don't you? You want to help people who are in pain. And, and if we have that perspective that we will be doing the changing, we will be doing the fixing, 
and then we don't see results then yeah that i i that's not good for for your confidence going forward of course not and and you probably can relate to that but um the best that can happen is that improvement is attributed to the patient itself. So they can see they have done something different and they have changed their language and therefore they blame themselves to being feeling better, <laughs> even if it's on the short term. Because I do think with people in chronic pain, it eventually starts with a, a moment of being or being a in a better health or being in a better having a better feeling or feeling a reduction and it usually it's, it's a moment and that's something where you can start from but i think it's the the, the tricky bit in 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 chronic pain generally it, it takes on low back pain um is that you want people to address themselves and they understanding why they might feel better they change a pattern or uh, a strategy if you like and the being slightly more successful in that and having access to that strategy themselves rather than the therapist is doing it. Mm. Um, I'm always very aware, especially in the very beginning, because I'm not against or I feel if you can give people a strategy or you can do something that really could potentially uh, change their pain even for a moment, it's a very strong learning experience, I guess. And um, we know things like CPM and condition pain modulation. We know that distraction can help. We know that breathing can help. Relaxing exercises can sort of giving you a moment of relief or release the pain. And I think that's really interesting because it also enhances possibilities that give you that moment to breathe mm. and uh putting the the patient or the person back in the driving seat if you like um so i do think there is some place for for strategies that you can actually offer mm. but yeah. how's that how's that for you going and is it being trying to to make the person attributing the the effect on its own behavior or their own strategies i think it's really challenging yeah Totally. And and like as you're talking about this, I'm I'm sort of I have someone in mind actually as as we're discussing and and uh, a comment they he had the other day was he's you know I have these strategies, they have some effects, but I'm still in pain. And, and you know that's the real world isn't it that <laughs> we're between the two of us I, you you use a couple of different really lovely expressions that perhaps we can talk about but between the two of us we're working together to figure out the best strategies that can have some effect and and even though he can experience some success from it there is this still this lingering experience of pain it's that it is still there and and that that's to me that's and 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 hearing that makes me feel quite sad actually because on a level I'm thinking how hard both of us have worked you know we're working together to come to a point where he's experiencing what some as I said some success or liberation or, or whatever he's bringing back things into his life that he was really struggling with 
but that but that there's something embedded in our society or there's this cultural notion of what pain is or what we should expect from going to therapy of <laughs> being able to get rid of this entity and and, and then yeah. the second and then the second thing that I've kind of got in my head is that then it's kind of inevitable that you start hearing people I mean essentially that that you shift blame onto yourself that well I'm doing all these things and I'm still in pain so you know what it's like another thing to just blame myself for that, that and just maintain this oh it's like a never-ending sort of um experience isn't it hmm. yeah and I, it's interesting that where the biggest successful treatments if you like um or the most successful treatments are people who seem to be able to sort of or are be able to sort of find a different strategy and they are successful in using the strategy. And the strategy includes like behavior, but also thinking strategies. It also includes relaxing strategies. It, 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 it's about exercising and making your own decisions, whatever what you like to do and understanding that distraction is actually a very key part of wellness and, be, and, uh, and your whole health actually is, is so the notion of having difficult different strategies and approaches that you sort of need to do very explicitly because in a normal or let's say in a healthy situation you would use those strategies automatically i really see that and uh, remembering back from melanie noel's talk about um, where where we are being, where society is actually creating expectancies about what is normal, what is, you have to get rid of it. Um, but I think we're sort of offering people strategies. So my, my, my take on this is, so if you want to compete with that, you want to make sure that you're giving people you want to challenge people or you want to show or let them feel that it actually it can happen so there is reason to be positive there is reason that distraction or um, exercises could benefit them for the better and you have to sort of build on the proof so and i like that whole model what we're discussing with the lauren mostly i guess it will be introducing the dim sin stuff the dim, dim dreamy safety me so the the likelihood of being in danger versus safety and it, it somehow fits in that idea so how much proof can you bring to that person so they will shift their that the body will shift its response or its output and that's a way of thinking about it but i think as therapists we're not it's not just about reducing the threats it's also about bringing safety and exploring it and sometimes it's in a it's just that you can actually benefit from being silent people are afraid to do it uh, and guiding people and expanding their possibilities and strategies i think that's very key mm. and that's very key to my work actually finding 
the strategies to compete in like getting access to the sims if you like the things that help and you might not known about them because you have to be introduced because they were not automatically there so you have to be introduced and, and therefore having that experience um allowing them to experience that that feeling again it's, does that make sense <laughs> so like i've got a sort of couple of thoughts then about where where you're taking that is that you said that it takes two to tango <laughs> i'm wondering yeah I'm wondering what it looks like, you know, you're the tango, if in effect. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how does that process? Um, yeah. What does it look like as you as you're taking something? Yeah. I think that 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 notion of tango. I think we we're not going to push people towards the right direction because they will become ambivalent. They will blame you for things not going well, and. I would bring any experiment and so an ex for example, I changed my narrative. So I'm not giving you exercises, but I give you an experiment. And the experiment will potentially evolve in an exercise that you design yourself because this is something you feel comfortable with. This works best for you. It's a very individually approach, individual approach. It also works in groups, but everyone will find out that they will need to adjust or adapt or create a, a 2.0 uh, version of the exercise. But it's all about, exper about experiments and every outcome is okay. We can see and we can, as long as it's experimenting, you give people some time to reflect. And I think the whole thing about reflecting it's probably a, it's it's a it's a challenging part because you constant you have to be full on as the therapist you have to see what's happening and and every move you make you have to check in with your patient what it does with them why you're doing it and what is it to them mm. instead of just throwing out an exercise and see how they go. Mm. Um, um, I think my sessions has become have become very intense in that sense because I'm really focused on what they're doing and giving them the feedback of what's happening and how they feel. So there's a continuously, there is a continuously, there is this over and forth discussion about what they feel and just challenging them to repeat and to repeat and to repeat and think over and over. Um, and sometimes it works in, in language, but sometimes you just have to do it, right? You have to just putting them in the situation with this, which is a bit threatening, but also controlled. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then then, and then experience, uh, run the experiment over and over again, see what's happening when you do the little changes here and there. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not necessarily um, striving for success, for something to be this dramatic improvement but you're looking you're just what interested in the outcome is that what you're you're asking you're asking that person to be interested and open and reflect on on, on what comes from that experiment yeah and i think it's very consistent with the research we have on exercise for example i think ben cormack's sessions were very very into that right so it doesn't mean it doesn't 
it doesn't bother what kind of exercise you bring, but it's the way you introduce it. It's the way you building it up and building confidence. And, but also as a therapist, you have to build confidence. I so I, I think you can do this. Mm. And uh, you have to, I think if people are, if you're asking people to be more positive or more open-minded or to be more expressive, you, you have to make the first step mm. as a therapist. You can't, if, if you want people to be more expressive, you should not ask them like close questions, like yes and no questions. You want them to give them, allow them to do it. But also you have to sort of probably give, give the example or give them or try to show what you mean, I guess. Yeah. Um, just looking for the right words. But I think in summary, I think we're asking a patient to do something scary. I think we should show them that it's all right. And we have to do it as well. And, um, and then tell them, well, come on, let, let's, I will do it first and I will, I will show you and then you will follow and it will help you through that process. Yeah, yeah, this is sort of an uh, updating the the results from the experiment, isn't it? You're you're gonna you're gonna have some influence then on those expectations, aren't you? I noticed that you're dropping in a couple of names of um, some of the presenters, and and that makes mm -hmm. me think of where we can go with this discussion. But um, when we were running live um, talks in London, we had uh, a brilliant um researcher catcher vike um speak about um how our expectations um create this self-fulfilling um prophecy and, and i'm just thinking how mindful you can be of that process how you can um unwittingly uh, um affect those expectations in both a, a, a positive and a negative um, manner as well and mm. and perhaps just being mindful of how you can affect uh, expectations would be something like you said uh, you know showing someone doing something yourself and demonstrating it, actually that might be a, a really good strategy to effect change sort of update their predictions if you want um, about how they're going to be when they do that experiment yeah and, and it, it... I think when there are a few other speakers that I think were fitting in that as well. I think Tim Salomon's his lecture was also was also partly about expectations and the things you say and things you do and uh, um, uh, and the question that always rises in in the clinic that put, is challenging me, but also I find it really interesting. So how many Good, how many good, um, so how many times do you need a positive experience to sort of having a chance that it might stay yeah. in the future? Um, I'm not sure how it can, yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think I express it well there. So how many attempts, so like bending forward, oh, that's a good one, another attempt, no, that's a good one, another one, another one. How many times in how many contexts does it need? Is there a sort of a insurance <laughs> for that? And uh, I think we have discussed this, this before, and I think everyone said that the more the better. 
and um, um, and you should try for these moments and seek for these experience of like you can actually do this yeah. without or with a different experience in pain yeah. while you're moving yeah um like so yeah I, and it makes me think about dosing and and you know the problems of figuring out the the sweet spots as it were um so we've got six minutes left for our discussion and um you don't know I'm going to ask this because I've only just thought about it, but <laughs> we're start, we're mentioning some of our past speakers, and I, um, something that we have got into a trend of doing is asking um, people in the podcast someone who's um, influenced them from past or, or present that they'd like to go for a drink with, and I'm wondering, is there a speaker in the last few years that um you'd like to take for a drink and and sit and chat and learn more from them yeah well i had the privilege that we actually had to sit down and have a drink with a few of them so um obviously i can't take those i can't pick those um what i found intriguingly interesting and and Uh, it's a hard choice, Tim. Um, can I pass it to you, and then I will go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess a better cop out would have been, well, I'd invite everyone to the party, and we're of course, gonna... yes. yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I think so. So. Uh, we've been so so fortunate we've had so many people haven't we that i mean one of the things that the pub generally does and the, the and the feedback that we get from people is that it creates an environment where people feel very comfortable sharing and um i've not met her in person we've mentioned melanie Noel, but i'd love to have a sit down and a drink and, and a chat with melanie her energy is phenomenal i mean her knowledge is brilliant as well and each time i listen to melanie i i gain more knowledge understanding some insights that um immediately i feel are um usable in my clinic so um i have been very fortunate to sit down with many of our speakers and have a good chat and perhaps share a beer or a glass of wine but Melanie, no, I haven't yet, and I would love to 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 have that chance at some point. Yeah, that's lovely. I would recommend that. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's my turn. Um, I'll probably, I think I would go for. So, I think Kathleen Sluka, and. Um, for two reasons, I think you. She, I know she's going to be she's going to be fun having a drink with them. She will be a good company uh, and open for discussion. Uh, but what I um, more content wise or in her um, discussion, I would I would love to hear because I think she has a very mechanical approach for pain. And it's all about nerve endings, and but 
uh, I would love to hear her, how she sort of relate that, how her journey has been changing over time from, let's say, the more mechanical view to a more embedded neuroimmunology. And she, I know she's very open to very then more um, contemporary science as well. And, and, and she is definitely in the US, she's one of the most, I think she's most influential physical therapy based or originally physical therapist uh, who had a, a massive academic career very influential but i i know she we found her that she is sort of got so she knows so much and i, I think it would be interesting to get this from this the mechanical view to a more biopsychosocial and i think she relates it to the, the nitty-gritty of the neuroscience and um and immunology which is i would love to have a drink with her when talking about that journey yeah, in particular, and uh, I would everyone recommend if you're a premium member, you can see the the session with her. It's quite was quite a massive thing, right? She was amazing in that, and yeah. uh, the, the things that she's covered and the insights on exercise as well, and um, the benefits of it from many perspectives. So, yeah, that was I would have a, another go with her. Her, her body of work is just phenomenal, actually, isn't it? It is incredible. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a, one, one last question because I know we're running out of time here. But um, someone from either the past or looking into the future who could be a Le Pub speaker, have you got anybody either past or into the future that you'd love to, to bring in and speak? Um, Robert Sapolsky. <laughs> yeah, I'll be happy with that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be reaching out to Robert Sapolsky. Uh, I would love to hear him speak. I mean, he is an incredibly engaging speaker and obviously hugely, hugely influential as well, isn't he? Um, so, from the stress biology point of view, at the endocrinology and yeah. Um, can I, What's can on I your list? Yeah. put someone out there? I just, um, I was thinking Rene Descartes would be a pretty cool person to bring <laughs> into the discussion. <laughs> uh, obviously out of reach now, but, um, you know, just look back into the past and look. can you imagine being him uh, around that time and coming up with the ideas that he was coming up with and, and, how that was competing with the knowledge that was out there. So yeah, I just um that would Absolutely. be really interesting. Yeah. Robert Sapolsky, Rene Descartes, uh Kathleen Sloop, lineup. and Melanie Noel around the <laughs> around the table in the bar. So there we go. That would be a cool combo. Um Absolutely. But uh, I really enjoyed having that discussion and um I think we should plan to do a few more of these. Um so, um, yeah, I just wrap up and say thanks so much. If you've got to the end of this recording, thanks very much to, to everyone for listening and for your support. Please do like, follow, tell everybody, you know, go out to the shops, to your neighbours, whoever it is, and tell everybody, shout about it. <laughs> Le Pubsy in the 11 minute sessions and, um, and wish everybody all the best. Absolutely. Great, Cheers. thanks. See you. Cheers. Bye-bye.